0: You are listening to audio from Faith Church. If you are in the Seminole, St. Pete area, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday. To learn more, visit us at faithrs.org. Well, let's continue in our time of worship as the kids are dismissed. uh, Let's continue in our time of worship by opening God's Word together. So if you have your Bible, will you grab that and turn to Colossians chapter 1? Colossians chapter 1. And if you don't own a Bible, we would love to give you one. There are Bibles on those tables in the back of the room. You can take one now. You can take one on your way out of worship today. I think we still have a few of those ESV scripture journals available in the foyer as well. You can take one of those and a Bible if you don't own a Bible. Uh, The full text on which today's teaching is based is Colossians chapter 1 verses 24 to 29. I'm going to invite you to stand if you're willing and able for the reading of God's Word Colossians 1, verses 24 to 29. Listen carefully to these words. Paul writes, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the Word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to His saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is the word of the Lord. Be Please be seated. Well, I know Darren just let us in prayer and Jamie just let us in prayer, but I'm going to pray again because of the heaviness of this passage. So will you pray with me for just a moment? God, your word always is true, always is good. But there are times when it is harder to hear it. There are times when it is heavy. This is one of those times. So I ask you to use me this morning. Work in me and through me. Open hearts. Help us to focus on Your Word this morning to eliminate all other distractions. Lord, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And what we are not, make us. All for the sake of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I want to ask you a question that perhaps you've never been asked before. Would you choose a life of suffering or a life of comfort and ease? Would you choose a life of suffering if it were offered to you as a gift or a life of comfort and ease? Many of us, we can answer that question in a split second. Comfort, ease, no suffering for me. All I want is to get a good education, land a lucrative career, find a husband or wife, buy a big house, you nice cars? Have long weekends? Tropical vacations? Until I retire? Comfort and ease for me, please and thank you. No suffering. Now if you think that way, this morning, by the power of the Word and the Spirit, I hope to persuade you that you are missing out on so many wonderful, beautiful, glorious things. The things that matter most in the world. It's counterintuitive, I know. Seemingly nonsensical. How does, that, how does that make sense? We're going to talk about that today as we look at the letter to the Colossians. We've been studying on Sunday mornings... In this series, Preeminent Colossians and Philemon, written by the Apostle Paul, I've referenced a couple of times now Paul's conversion experience, that very dramatic experience he had that changed him drastically on the road to Damascus. Most people know who the Apostle Paul was, and they know a little bit about his story, but there's a detail, there's a line in his conversion story in the book of Acts that we often forget. The risen Jesus has appeared to Paul, blinded him, sent him to Damascus, where he's supposed to wait on the divine instructions to come to him. For three days, Paul is there fasting and praying in the dark, waiting. And in the meantime, Jesus speaks to a man named Ananias. And he tells Ananias to take the divine instructions To Paul. And here's the message that Jesus has through Ananias for Paul. This is the line we forget. The Lord said to Ananias, Go, for Paul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him, I will show him how much he must suffer. For the sake of my name. What is that all about? Paul is a chosen instrument of the Lord of all creation, and what does he win? I will show him how much he must suffer. Suffer. Now, maybe this is something that was true only for Paul, right? That's our hope in this moment. Surely, this was, you know, he was an apostle. He was unique. This whole suffering thing, that's not for us today, right? I think it is. I think it is because Paul will go on in the book of Acts to speak to the early disciples, the early Christians, and he will say to them, after being beaten and stoned himself, he will say to them, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations. And then he'll go on in the book of Philippians that he writes, and he'll say this in Philippians chapter 1 It has been granted to you, church Christians, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake. Granted? Granted. That sounds like that chosen instrument language from, from Acts 9. It's the language of grace, of gift. Honor, privilege, it's a privilege to suffer. How can it be so? How can it be so? That's the paradox we must explore together this morning. It's the paradox we find here in Colossians chapter 1 at the end of the chapter. Here at the end of this chapter, we're going to find three directives for the church. Three directives. Now, normally what I would do is I would list for you those three directives... I'd give you the overview of where we're going so you know what to listen for, know what to look for, and then we would move through those points together. We're not going to do that today. Because I have a confession to make. This message totally got away from me this week. Totally got away from me. I've been doing this long enough to know that I need about a 4,000-word manuscript to translate into about a 35-minute talk on Sunday morning. So this past week I wrote my 4,000 word manuscript like I always do and it was all under point one. It was all under one verse. Verse 24. So this is going to be a two-part talk. Today there's only one point and it comes from verse 24. And then next week we'll come back to this passage and look at the rest of it. But there's just too much we have to wrestle with here. There's way too much. So, I got one point and one point only for you this morning. And that point is this: rethink your adversity. You got to rethink it. Whatever your adversity is, and this is a deeply personal thing for so many of you right now, I know it is. I know what you're walking through. You got to rethink your adversity. We see that in Colossians 1:24. I'm going to bring in some parallel passages to help further illuminate this primary text for us. But look first at the beginning of the verse. Paul says, "Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake." I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Remember he's writing this letter from prison. This is one of his captivity epistles. Paul is a man who knew suffering. It was an old friend of his. He knew pain. He knew suffering. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 11, he gives us a catalog of his sufferings. I want you to listen to this from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. So he was beaten. Severely, on multiple occasions. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness... Dangerous sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger, in thirst, no food, in cold and exposure. And apart from the other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Man, you think you're having a bad day. Think you've had a bad year? Try being Paul. Suffering was an old friend. He knew it well. And yet he can say, I rejoice. I rejoice in my sufferings. Now, how can he say that? Why would he rejoice in his times of suffering? I can think of at least three reasons. They're good reasons. Why Paul would rejoice in his sufferings and why we ought to rejoice in ours. I'm going to give you each of them with some biblical support for each reason. Three reasons why Paul could rejoice and why we ought to. First, because suffering deepens our relationship with God. Suffering deepens our relationship with God. It's interesting that Peter, the Apostle Peter, uses very similar language, rejoicing in suffering, when he wrote his letter. 1 Peter chapter 1, we find this, "...in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire," may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, very similar language. Peter, just like Paul, is rejoicing, talking about rejoicing in our times of suffering. Why is it that we can rejoice here? Well, a couple of reasons. It's temporary. For the believer, suffering is temporary, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by trials. It's also purposeful. It's not just that our sufferings are temporary, but they're purposeful always. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, well, who decides if it's necessary? Who decides if it's necessary for you to suffer? God does. And he always has a good purpose in it. God brings suffering into our lives for good reasons. One of the good reasons is it deepens our faith. Notice in verse 7 Peter talks about the tested genuineness of your faith. He's using the image here of the purification of gold. Gold is sometimes mixed with impurities and those impurities lessen its beauty, lessen its value so it must be heated, the intense heat of the crucible. And when it's heated the impurities rise to the surface So the goldsmith can skim them away, making that gold more beautiful, more valuable. That's the image Peter uses here for us in our times of suffering. When we suffer, we are heated up. We are exposed by God's grace, by His good plan, to the crucible. And as we are heated, all those impurities, they rise to the surface so that the goldsmith, God himself, can skim them away. In our times of suffering, the fear and the doubt rises to the surface. The pride and the independence rises to the surface. God skims them away. We learn through that season of suffering that we had no reason to fear, no reason to doubt, because we can look back now and see that God was with us all along. We learned that we had no reason to be prideful. No reason to be independent because we needed God every step of the way. One of the good reasons to rejoice in our times of suffering is because it deepens our relationship with God. It strengthens our faith. That's the first reason. There are more. The second reason that Paul could rejoice in his times of suffering, and that we ought to rejoice in our times of suffering, is because suffering uplifts or inspires the people of God. Your suffering and mine has the power to uplift and inspire other Christians. Back to Philippians 1, another of Paul's letters. Notice what he says here. He's writing about his own suffering, his own imprisonment. Philippians is another one of those captivity epistles. Paul's in jail as he writes it. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold To speak the word without fear. Paul has heard news. He's heard a report. See, the, the people in Philippi, they knew that he was in prison. They knew his suffering and they knew how he was responding to it. They knew that he was rejoicing, that he was persevering, that he was suffering well. And it inspired them. It inspired them like nothing else see we think things are impossible we think things are impossible until someone comes along and achieves that thing we thought was impossible. I'll give you an example. For decades, for decades the four minute mile was the holy grail of athletic achievement. For decades it had not been done. Never! And everyone thought it couldn't be done and then in 1954 In 1954, Roger Bannister did it. For the first time, for decades, no one could achieve this goal, but once Bannister did it, suddenly the impossible became achievable. Within a little over a year, excuse me, a month, someone broke Bannister's record. Just one month later. Then, within a year of that, three runners broke the four-minute mile in the same race. Over the last 50 years, more than a thousand runners have achieved a goal that once was considered hopelessly out of reach. What happened? Someone did it. One person. And then everyone saw it can be done. It was an inspiration. That's what happened with Paul. The people in Philippi heard he's in prison. We we know about prison. It's not a joyful place. And yet Paul is there and he's rejoicing. He's persevering. Wow. I I want to be like Paul. I want to live that type of commitment to Christ. I'm not going to let my suffering bring me down. And as a result, they became confident, bold. They were strengthened. They were uplifted. They were inspired because of Paul. Now before we look at a third reason, we need to deal with an objection here. What about those times when we don't know of any positive outcome associated with our suffering? See, Here in Philippians 1, Paul hes in prison, but it's very clear to him that other Christians have become aware of his suffering and they've been inspired. So there's a positive outcome. Paul can rejoice in that, right? What about those times when you and I suffer and we are not aware of any positive outcome? All we know is I'm suffering and I got nobody coming to me sharing a good report. I got nobody stepping up and saying, the way you're dealing with that disease, the way you're dealing with that death, the way you're dealing with that prodigal son, that's strengthening me. We got none of those testimonies, not a one. What do we do then? What do we do then? In those moments, in those seasons, we must trust that God is working in those ways even though we can't yet see them, even though we can't yet hear them. Elementary teachers. We've got a handful of you out there, I know. Elementary teachers will try anything to get their students to calm down can i get an amen from the elementary teachers Right, they'll try anything to get their students to calm down i remember many years ago one of our boys i forget which one it was had a teacher an elementary teacher who had a treasure box in her classroom and so if the students were well-behaved and they were obedient and respectful they would get to pick a treasure out of that treasure box and so one day one of our sons came home with a top-secret UV pen. Have you seen these? It's a pen that writes with invisible ink. You write the message on the paper and it seems like there's nothing there until you shine the light on it. And then when you shine the light on it, you realize there was a message there all along. I just couldn't see it yet. I needed the light. Believer, suffering Believer, listen to me. God, the cartographer of your life, of the map that is your life, He has chosen to show you some things plainly now, but not all things. But one day, maybe a short while from now, or maybe a long, long time from now, He will shine the light on certain parts of that map, the parts that seem the darkest to you. And you will see that there was a message there all along. You just needed the light to see it. There was a good purpose all along. So in the meantime, trust Him and rejoice. Rejoice. Now there's one more reason that I want you to see we talked about two of them. Why would Paul rejoice? Why should we rejoice in our suffering? It deepens our relationship with God. It inspires the people of God. But there's one other one in this same passage in Philippians 1. Suffering expands and intensifies our witness. So this one has to do with unbelievers. We talked about strengthening, inspiring believers. This final reason has to do with Unbelievers. Notice in this same passage, Philippians 1, back toward the beginning, what Paul says. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, my imprisonment, my suffering, has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Here's Paul. He's in jail. Jails back then were very similar to jails now in that they were not joyful places. People didn't want to be there. Nobody woke up saying, you know what, I want to go to jail today. It's top on my list. They were not joyful places. And yet here is Paul, who's exposed to the same type of treatment. He had no special treatment there. And yet his attitude is completely different. His words are completely different. And so people begin to take notice. The entire imperial guard begins to take notice. How can this man act this way? What is this joy within him? What's the cause of it? And that opens the door wide open for Paul to share. I'm joyful because of Jesus. He he is the one who has given me this power. You See, this is what suffering does. If on a normal day, your influence, your reach is sort of like being a, a poster on the bulletin board above the water cooler at work if that on a normal day is your influence your reach then when you go through times of intense suffering suddenly you become much more like a commercial that's airing during the Super Bowl eyes are on you don't you waste that don't waste that people are looking at you they're watching to see how you suffer and when you suffer well When you persevere with faith, they're going to have questions, just like the Imperial Guard did for Paul. How can you be that way? How can you respond to your suffering like that? What is the reason for this joy within you? It's a great opportunity. Your witness is expanding, intensifying, all because of your suffering. So there are three reasons, good reasons, I think, why Paul would rejoice and why we can rejoice. Now, we've got to get back to Colossians one we We're only halfway through the verse and we haven't gotten to the hard part yet. I want us to look at the second part of verse 24 and notice what Paul says here. I rejoice in my sufferings, cover that part, for your sake and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, that is, the church. Now, immediately, we should be struck by the absurdity of that verse. That sounds heretical, doesn't it? Lacking in Christ's afflictions? I'm going to fill up what is lacking in the afflictions of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. How can Paul say that in some way the sufferings of Jesus are incomplete, insufficient? Are the sufferings of Jesus like my car? You know, there's some gas in the tank, but not enough to get us to the destination. So I got to whip out my wallet and I got to put some gas in there so we can get all the way to the destination? Is Paul saying that the sufferings of Jesus get us partly to God, but not all the way there? I mean, this sounds heretical. If I, if I ever get up here on this stage and say to you, you know, Jesus did a lot for you, but he didn't do enough, and so I'm here to do the rest, your Savior has arrived i'm gonna fill it up for you if i say that you better run my irish butt out of here because that is heretical that is false teaching but that's not what paul is saying here it's not what he's saying here let me tell you what i think he's getting at in this passage when he talks about something lacking In Christ's afflictions, I don't think, in fact, I know he's not talking about power that is lacking. He's not saying that the crucifixion of Jesus was somehow insufficient to deal with the problem of our sins. And we know that's not what he means because of what he's already told us in this letter. Recall the previous verses. Verses 19 and 20. We studied them last week. Let me remind you. Paul says, For in him, in Jesus... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Paul doesn't say Jesus almost made peace. He says Jesus made peace between sinful humanity and the holy God by the blood of his cross. So, whatever he means here in verse 24, about filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. He's not talking about power. Jesus is powerful to save. So here's what I think he is talking about. Not power, but presentation. What is lacking is the presentation of the afflictions of Christ, the suffering of Christ the presentation of that good news to the people for whom Jesus died. There are people in your classroom. There are people in your workplace. There are people in this community and people throughout the world for whom Jesus died and they don't know it yet. They haven't tasted the grace of God They haven't experienced the afflictions of Christ. What is lacking is the presentation of that good news to those people. And so Paul says, I will suffer well. I will suffer in such a way that the watching world will look to me and they will ask questions and then I can present the wonderful news of the gospel to them. Through my suffering, people will come to know about the suffering of Jesus, the suffering that can save them. It's the same opportunity you have. It's the same opportunity I have when we suffer. You have an opportunity to show the world the afflictions of Jesus, the saving power of I'm going to give you two illustrations and then we're going to hit the pause button on this passage until next week. Two illustrations, two short stories of how this really does play out in the real world. First one, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer lived from 1906 to 1945. He was a German pastor and theologian whose courageous opposition to the Nazis led to his arrest by the Gestapo in 1943. For two years, in prisons and concentration camps, he ministered to his fellow prisoners, joyfully rejoicing in his suffering. Eventually, he was transferred to the extermination camp at Flossenburg, and on April the 9th of 1945, one month before Germany surrendered, he was executed with six other resistors. A decade after his death, a camp doctor who witnessed Bonhoeffer's hanging described the scene like this Listen to the impact Bonhoeffer's suffering had on this doctor the prisoners were taken from their cells and the verdicts of court-martial read out to them. Through the half-open door in one room of the huts, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer. Before taking off his prison garb, kneeling on the floor, praying fervently to his God. I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed. So devout so certain that God was with him and heard his prayer. At the place of execution, he again said a prayer and then climbed the steps to the gallows, brave, composed. His death ensued in a few seconds. In the almost 50 years that I have worked as a doctor, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. I was most deeply moved. One more. J. Oswald Sanders lived from 1902 to 1992. He was a Christian leader for nearly 70 years and he wrote more than 40 books on the Christian life. He left a promising, very promising law practice in his native New Zealand to serve as an instructor and administrator at the Bible College of New Zealand and later became the general director of the China Inland Mission. He was instrumental in the beginning of many new mission projects throughout East Asia. Well, Many years ago, Sanders was preaching in the chapel at Trinity Seminary, sharing about some of his missionary travels, and he told this story. A story about an indigenous missionary walking barefoot from village to village in India, where he had been. The missionary's hardships were many. His suffering intense. After a long day of many miles and much discouragement, he came to a village, and there he tried to share the gospel simply, clearly, before dusk. But the villagers rejected him. They drove him out. We don't want to hear from you, they shouted. Exhausted, discouraged, the missionary fell down under a tree, and he fell asleep. His body worn out, his heart weary. Later in the evening, he was awakened. For a moment, he thought he was dreaming. The villagers, the villagers that had cast him out were now gathered around him, all of them. And their leader was standing over the missionary, staring intently. Then he spoke these words. We came here to see what kind of man you are. And when we saw your feet, when we saw your feet blistered, bloody feet. We regretted the way we treated you. And we concluded that you must be a holy man with a very important message for us. Why else would you walk from village to village barefoot? Why else would you suffer so much for us? So we are here now. Speak to us. Speak to us. Believer, don't waste your suffering. Don't waste it. Suffer well. Suffer in such a way that Jesus looks great and powerful like he is. And people will say to you, we're here now. Speak to us. Speak to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, even the hard and heavy parts like today's. There are so many in our midst that if given the choice, we would choose the path of comfort and ease. But we understand, now having looked at your word, that you call us to a life of suffering. And that suffering is indeed a gift, a privilege, an opportunity. It is, God, one of your primary strategies for the completion of the Great Commission. The gospel will go to the nations as the church endures suffering. So whatever season we find ourselves in, the death of a loved one, an illness, times of uncertainty, times of pain and loss, whatever they are, may we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing God that somehow, even if we can't see it, somehow you are working for our good and for your glory. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.